Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James. This is Pete. Good everyone. It is the 24th of October. This is episode 132. And while I would love nothing more than to discuss that it's the fact that it's the opening day of the NBA season, as okay. pretty much anyone who's watching the podcast has already uh, figured out, is hot, fresh on my mind, we do actually have a big show for you guys That's coming right. up. We're going to be talking to Brendan O'Neill, editor of Spiked Online, possibly the greatest website in the planet, uh, I would say. And we are also going to be talking to one of our campus coordinators, Deanna Kovac, who uh, was part of... A a event that we put on at the University of Sydney with Extinction Rebellion, and I don't want to uh, destroy the story. I'll let her tell it, but yeah, it is a good story. It's a good one. Uh, turns out Extinction Rebellion, uh, you know, you'll enjoy it. But uh, And Brendan O'Neill, obviously, there's a lot to talk about with Brexit and uh, a bunch of other things. Uh, Pete, anything you're looking forward to in the show? Well, uh, you've kind of brushed over the fact that you're wearing a basketball singlet. It is, I do look ridiculous because we can see ourselves in this <laughs> monitor up here home. and it looks, I look silly. James has nothing nuggets. on except a basketball singlet and pants. Uh, and pants. The pants. I know I'm under a table. Rest assured there are pants, socks and shoes. I just want everyone to know that I'm triggered <laughs> and now you all know and you did nothing about it. <laughs> so let's carry You're on. useful idiots of my regime to turn this into a basketball <laughs> podcast, which it will be within three weeks time. Uh, anyway, Pete, uh, we should talk the big news yep. in the world today and that is the Right to Know campaign. So the right- that was all over the media for like days. Or, or, or not, as the case may be. It was all well, over the media on Monday. It's quite clever. Yeah, it wasn't bad. So a campaign by a group of media organisations on Monday, Nine, News Corp, the ABC, SBS, The Guardian, and the Journalists Union, who knew that they had a union, but they did. It's called the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance. So all the newspapers ran with their front pages blacked out to protest against... Uh, uh, what they see is growing secrecy from the government. Uh, they're asking for a number of things. They want protections for whistleblowers, changes to defamation laws, changes to secrecy laws, uh, a range of things like that. And uh, it's been all over the news for the first few days of the week. Now, the first uh, reaction I had was the same one that John Roscombe had on uh, the Bolt Report earlier this week. Saul, if you could roll the tape. The ABC says it wants to know all about what government does. But when the Institute of Public Affairs put in a freedom of information request to find out why the IPA was black banned from a program, what did we find from the ABC? Oh, lots of answers. We found (laughs) that. We found that. So that is our fearless leader, John Roskam, on the Bolt Report. As and I said, for people that are listening, oh, he's just holding up completely blacked out pieces of paper. Like the, the, the amount of stuff we learned from our Freedom of Information request from the ABC was zilch. Yeah, so that those, as I was going to say, the F Freedom of Information Act was sent to the ABC. Now, what we sent them in relation to, James, was why the IPA don't get on the drum program on yeah. the ABC. Black band, as John Roskam said. And the ABC is, is saying... <laughs> yeah, the ABC is saying... We want more information about national security. Yeah. They won't even tell us about editorial decisions from a middle of the road. Oh, I'll land it, middle of the road. Very good uh, <laughs> news and current affairs program. Yeah, yeah, for so sure. There's, you know, there's more to this story than the hypocrisy of the left, but yeah, I thought yeah. I'd hit that first. Uh, d- definitely hit that first. So, But let's talk about it because there's a lot of things in here. Like, I am all for any and all campaigns that uh, end up with people arguing for more free speech. Yeah. Like, this is good. Media companies want more free speech. Uh, so do I. Uh, it's just like some of the stuff that gets put forward is getting a little, we the educated can have the freedom to yeah, speak yeah, yeah, and freedom yeah. to investigate. But you you common folk, uh, you stay there with you know your oats and your horses <laughs> and we'll, we'll speak freely for from? you. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, so, like, let's, so some of them, yeah, as Pete said, yeah. it's protection for whistleblowers, restrictions on secrecy, more government transparency, which is all good, defamation law reform. 100%. Mm-hmm. I'm all for that. It's bad news for, what was it? Dense Humpty Dumpty Clive Palmer that he can't start uh, suing YouTubers and calling right. that. Yeah. Uh, but that's good news as well. But yes, as Pete says, like uh, there are some media campaigns that are like, you know, oh, journalists get to be the ones protected mm. from freedom of speech laws. But, you know, these other places probably not. I, mm. My thing is, if you weren't all in on 18C reform, you can't also be all in on right to know campaign because yeah. they're both like the government shouldn't tell you what you can and cannot say. That's right. And they, it's not even just 18C. It's like Finkelstein way back in yeah. the day. You know, they actually effectively wanted to license the media and a lot of media organisations were fine with that. Hey, we need that licensing. Yeah, exactly. We can't have Murdoch press just saying whatever they want. Exactly right. Exactly right. And, and, and I, I don't, 
I just like this, you know, I always sort of whinge about journos sitting around the pub on a Friday night bragging about how they talk. Yeah. Truth to power. Like, they want this special classification where they get special rights and other citizens don't. It's like, get, come on, mate. Yeah, exactly. Like, what's a journalist? Is a YouTuber a journalist? Are we journalists? Uh, well, I think you and I are professional journalists. I would, uh, I would say the biggest journalist in Australia. We bring, you, I've started calling myself the news hound oh, just have to, to have an idea of where, how seriously we take our journalism. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so let's, so then it gets into the Canberra debate and, you know, both all the parties are taking their sides. It's Scott Morrison saying some I like, some I don't like. Now, I want to hone in on the Labor response because okay. Mark Dreyfus came out and he said, Labor, unlike the Morrison government, Labor believes in freedom of, the pers- freedom of the press and the public's right to know. Now, Mark Dreyfus, I would sit this one out if I were you. Yeah, the exact yeah. same reasons I was saying about other media organisations sitting yeah. this one out. I would sit this one out. Uh, like only a few months ago mm. was Mark Dreyfus calling for an extension of 18C and more funding for the Australian Human Rights Commission. Yeah. Like that was like a few months ago mm. and turns out we haven't forgotten about that. The other one, Christina Keneally, this is even crazy. Christina Keneally uh, said, Scott Morrison and senior ministers treat press freedom as if it were an inconvenience rather than as a central pillar of our democracy. Christina Keneally literally called for a journalist to not get a visa to come to Australia to speak at CPAC with yeah. Raheem Kassan. Like yeah. you've literally done that this year. Anyway, so no, you're right. I would sit this one out if I were you too. No, you're exactly right. And last time they were in power, I think it was not. Exactly. Uh, and yeah, so that's that. Uh, I guess we'll move on to Brexit. Let's Unless move you have any more points you want nah, to bring up. We covered it well. Uh, we, we support the campaign. Few of them need to sit it out. Yeah. But, uh, you know, any and all campaigns that end up with more freedom of speech, I'm all about. Yeah, overall. Uh, sorry, Brexit. Now, uh, slow. Uh, so I'm glad you're sitting down for this one, Pete, because I've got some news. Okay. Uh, it turns out a big day for Brexit turned out to not be a big day for Brexit after all. That never happens. So what it was, uh, Boris Johnson, he's got a deal that uh, Europe seems happy with, he seems somewhat happy with, mm. and he brings it to Parliament. They're not happy with it. Okay. Today was going to be the vote. Uh, they've decided... Uh, so Here's how much of a thing it is. So MPs back his withdrawal agreement bill, yeah, they, which yep. we talk about with Brendan O'Neill later about whether or not that's a good bill or not, so stick around the show. So MPs back the withdrawal agreement bill but minutes later voted against the timetable mm. leaving it in limbo yep and then they proceeded to honk tiny horns and all get in the exact same car while it went through a loop-de-loop like this is an absolute clown show at this point you like the bill you don't like how quickly you have to work on it yeah. and we still don't have brexit well that's right they want to make him feel stupid for his october 31 thing we're going to exactly get out. we do go into more detail of this with brendan o'neill so i won't say too much about it because he covers it much better than i could yeah but uh, it is disappointing that this bill is basically very, very similar to Theresa May's bill. Yeah. And the, the prospects of a no-deal Brexit or an actual Brexit or a hard Brexit, they used to call it, are looking a little bit grimmer, but there is still some hope. Yes, uh, which is literally the exact same sentence Peter said every four to five weeks on this show. It saves time, Since the dawn of man. Uh <laughs> yeah, exactly. We just control C, control V to pr- from What did I say progress. last week? Uh, now, I won't actually know what to do myself uh, with myself if Brexit actually gets up. Mm. Like the amount of false thorns and the amount of fake, uh, false promises about this being a big, deal for, big day for Brexit, the day that it does happen, yeah. chaos. Well, it'll depend what kind of Brexit. J- just anything. Anything that's not just, oh, more delays. Well, yeah. Well, we wanna... tried for an agreement, we didn't get it. I don't want a sad... I don't want this Brexit. Yeah. I want a real Brexit. You're not going to get it. <laughs> I, might, so, I wish you could. This is still just the, for the transition phase. Yeah. So if the transition phase also the same thing happens, at the end of that, they might get a no deal Brexit. Okay. You are nothing if not optimistic. I'm an optimistic And I wish person. I had that optimism. Go Nuggets. Uh, anyway, let's move on to the Heroes and Villains segment this week. So We didn't even uh, talk about having... <laughs> oh, we can. We can. We can play the pig again in about 15 uh, minutes' time once I've previewed the Denver Nuggets. If there's time at the end, we'll talk about the Nuggets. Uh, hopefully. Let's speed through this then. By Sorry. the way, Saul pressing the pig button, that's his big moment of the week. That, so Saul, he gets a real rush to the head. <laughs> now, he's, now he's taking the rest Power of the day hungry. off. Uh, so that was the Snort of Freedom. That was the Grunt the Pig Freedom Award. Yeah. Uh, so we're just going to play that every time someone stands. Like, we're going to play that to the people that we think have stood up for freedom and against tyranny this week. So, Pete, cue us off. Well, uh, Nick Cave, great Australian yeah. rocker. Uh, he has a website. Knows how to score a TV show based in 1920s Birmingham. Oh. He knows how to do that. Exactly right. So Peaky Blinders, of course, is what James Bold is talking if you to. Don't, if you didn't pick up what I was talking about, you have homework. Okay. <laughs> like, go watch five seasons of Peaky Blinders. The theme song to that is Nick Cave's song, and it's awesome. Anyway, Nick Cave has a website called The Red, right Hand, the Red Hand Files, yeah. and he takes questions from fans. And Stella from Portland asked him how woke he is, right? So he goes, okay, 
wrote this big thing about woke culture, which was excellent, but I'll just read out the highlights. Woke culture finds its energy in self-righteous belief and the suppression of contrary systems of thought. Wokeness, for all its virtues, is an ideology immune to the slightest suggestion that in a generation's time their implacable beliefs will appear as outmoded and fallacious as those of their own former generation so we had nick cave to the to the line of celebrities who are anti-woke yep. who as you know i get around <laughs> i was gonna say there <laughs> is no i wish i'd loved anything in my life as much as peter loves celebrities that aren't rabid left-wingers i just love a rock star that's the rock star you know like <laughs> get around him now this is not the first time nick cave has waded into this he recently said that morrissey's record should be played despite his political beliefs so there was a controversy about that because morrissey's very critical of islam and he also defended he got just cr- good news for my chill out playlist because there is a lot of morrissey <laughs> yeah yeah uh, now, Nick Cave defended artists playing in Israel because he got heaps of criticism of playing in Israel, and he said, be- because of that criticism, that I have to play in Israel. Which is rock and roll. Uh, yeah. Good one. All right. So, my hero, different track. Okay. Uh, this one's a controversial one, but my hero this week is Hillary Clinton. Now, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Uh, now, no one has. So, as I've said on this show, if I had to pick a Democratic nominee, it would be Tulsi Gabbard. And How that's come? like pretty easy. Sorry? What do you like about her? Uh, she's good on more policies than any other presidential candidate from the Democratic Party. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so the campaign is starting to fall off a little bit. Okay. Uh, and she hasn't been invited to one of the debates. Uh, she didn't get a lot of speaking time in the latest one. Mm. So things aren't looking good. So in comes Hillary Clinton with the all-time campaign assist by saying, I think they, that Russia has got their eye on somebody who is currently in the Democratic Party and are grooming her to be the third-party candidate. She told a podcast called Campaign HQ. Now, a better man would have gone and listened to that 60-minute interview on Campaign HQ <laughs> with Hillary Clinton to isolate the clip. A better I'm man. not a better man. <laughs> I would just take what the media tells me to do. Sometimes a bad idea, but for this one, I'll be all in. Uh, Clinton also called this candidate the favourite of the Russians. She didn't mention Tulsi Gabbard by name, but they were like, are you talking about Tulsi Gabbard? And she said, you know, something to the effect of if the shoe fits. Uh, Huge. Tulsi Gabbard all over the news, is she a Russian asset? All the other Democratic nominees were like, should we engage with who's a Russian asset and who's not? (laughs) At this point, every single person in America is a Russian asset, according to some people at the Democratic Party. Uh, And Tulsi Gabbard, if we could show the tweet on the screen, I'll also read it out for people listening at home. Thank you, Hillary Clinton. You, the queen of warmongers, embodiment of corruption and personification of the rot that has sickened the Democratic Party for so long have finally come out from behind the curtain uh, and then went on a thread about uh, how this is basically a war between Tulsi and, uh, and Clinton. Now, because I'm a big Tulsi fan, mm. uh, because I like her more than any other candidate, this is the exact shot in the arm that the campaign needed. So where would she be without Hillary Clinton right now? This is the best campaign she could have run. When we started this award, I didn't think Hillary Clinton would be one of the nominees, but there you go. She's been nominated for literally every other award. It was only a matter of time. Uh, let has uh, move on to the Villains of the Week, the Walter Peck Villainy Award for people that have stood up for tyranny. Now, Pete, yeah. uh, this is a good one. We need a sound for that so Saul can get the rush that he gets from the pig. <laughs> so my villain this week is... just play the pig again, but it's just from his face. An evil pig. <laughs> uh, UN Human Rights Council is my villain this week, which is not a surprise because they're terrible. Now, the Union, UN Human Rights Council, I went on their website, did some research, found out what they're responsible for. They are responsible for promoting and protecting human rights around the world. Now... Last week, they admitted 14 new members to the council. There's 47 countries on the council. This is voted for, James. It's not just like everyone gets a turn. It's voted for by other countries. Guess who made it? Venezuela, right? So all the other countries around the world, I mean, they voted on other people as well, but they voted for Venezuela, of which, you know, 4.5 million people have fled. The UN itself has said that uh, there's cases of torture, sexual abuse, and extrajudicial killings in Venezuela. There's people there starving. Uh, now, we've uh, interviewed Vance Sloan from... Uh, sorry, Vance. Vale Sloan. Uh, vale Sloan. Vance, where did I get that from? Vale Sloan <laughs> last week. Recently? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. From the Atlas Foundation last week, and he talked about the organisations they have in Venezuela yep. who are literally laying down their lives or risking their lives, and in some cases losing their lives, for actual rights yes. in Venezuela. And if you are new to the show, go back, I want to say... 30 episodes, maybe 20, but Andes Guevara was on. I was right. sharing a room with him at a conference and he mm-hmm. actually works at a free market think tank from Venezuela. Yeah. One of the best interviews we've ever done, yeah, if exactly I may say, right. mainly because Pete wasn't there. Yeah, I wasn't but, there. But so uh, the content was also really good. Go listen to that. Yeah. To, talk, like, to listen about what it's actually like in Venezuela these yeah. days. And so for the people like that who are risking their lives for actual rights, for yeah. them to get voted on just goes to show what an absolute rotten body yeah. the UN is. And I you are my villain of the week. I swear to God this happens every five weeks. Like the there's UN, always yeah. some country that gets appointed to some board within yeah. the UN, which is disgraceful. I think that, was it Zimbabwe got put on the health 
yeah. council or something, something like that. And Little there was like a, a, a council about women's rights, whether women couldn't vote within the country. Yeah, Saudi Arabia, yeah. Yeah, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Like at this point, is the UN just a professional troll organization? Like you said, the responsibility was to promote human rights. Is it the responsibility to troll? It's good for free market think tank podcast <laughs> yeah. content. And literally no one else. All right. Uh, my villain of the week. Uh, we'll go through this one quickly, but it's yeah. Jeremy Corbyn. I'm not going too far off uh, brand. Hillary Clinton was a hero, but I've returned to more stable footing. Hillary with Jeremy Corbyn is a villain. Uh, so he is giving a speech at the Pink Awards, uh, which is this LGBT magazine. Uh, sorry, the Pink News Awards. And this is how he started his speech. My name is Jeremy Corbyn, pronoun he stroke him, and I'm very proud to be here tonight. All right, so if we could all just update the record that Jeremy Corbyn is he He's slash a, him slash a fool. Uh, is there anything more cringeworthy in the world than a cisgender man announcing his pronouns? Yeah. Like, who was not under that impression? You know, you know that I'm a bloke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And people that have it like in their Twitter bio, it's like yeah. he, him for like someone who's been, a, who's always been a man. It's yeah. the most cringeworthy thing in the world. Like I get uh, that it's a thing for some people. Oh, like, absolutely. But for yeah. cisgender man, I don't get it. We didn't need that. Uh, all right. So let us go to our interview with uh, Brendan O'Neill and Tiana Kovach. And then we have uh, the quiz, obviously. Yeah. Now I actually, you'll understand why, but my mind was on something else at the start of the quiz. Mm. So I should mention the quiz contestants this week <laughs> are Pat Hannaford and who else? Andrew Bushnell. Andrew Bushnell. <laughs> Come on, mate. Let's go to the interviews now. Okay, we now welcome back onto the show the editor of Spikes, one of my favourite websites in the entire world, Brendan O'Neill. Welcome back to the show. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it is going well. Well, actually, uh, I want to just qualify that because I made a substantial bet uh, that I mentioned on the show a few months ago that there would be a general election in the UK in October. Now, I am starting to think that's not going to happen. So before we get into Brexit, before we get into everything, is there a chance that there's going to be an election in the next seven days? Um, unfortunately not. And the reason why not is actually really deeply disturbing. It's because MPs keep blocking a general election. Boris Johnson has called for one twice. Officially in Parliament, he has said, let's have a general election, and MPs have voted against it. Uh, we're in a really weird position in the UK at the moment, where we have a political class that is plotting against the vote we made in the EU referendum in 2016, and simultaneously blocking a general election so that we can't pass judgment on them. So um, there won't be a general election in the next seven days because Britain is teetering on the brink of being a, a, a banana republic. I think that's for the best, Britain. I don't think James needs his gambling encouraged. So uh, it's going to help him personally, <laughs> maybe not the UK. So why is today so important for Brexit? Um, I mean, every day is, is important in relation to Brexit right now. Um, Boris? Johnson got a deal, which everyone thought he wouldn't do. Um, I'm deeply sceptical of the deal. Uh, I think it is very, very similar to Theresa May's. It, it's basically Theresa May's withdrawal agreement with a few tweaks here and there. And the problem with Theresa May slash Boris Johnson's withdrawal agreement is that it um, pretty much keeps us under the jurisdiction of the European Union for a very long period of time. So it doesn't take back control, which was the slogan of the vote for Brexit in 2016, which 17.4 million people voted for. So I'm very sceptical of the deal, um, but I'm even more sceptical of the MPs who are refusing to vote the deal through, which is what happened on Saturday before, we, before recording this. On Saturday... Uh, MPs refused to vote the deal through. They kicked it into the long grass. They said, mm, not interested, we can't have this, we need more time to read it. The deal keeps coming back to Parliament. They're going to potentially vote on it again at some other point. And the, the shorter version of the story is that the political establishment is doing everything within its power to prevent Brexit from happening. And that is irritating British voters to an alarming degree. Uh, I remember when the Theresa May deal came out, the big uh, pushback on it was basically that it still kept Britain in the customs market and it still made Britain uh, subject to the laws of the European Union. Now, is that going to still be the case under the Boris Johnson agreement as well? Yeah, Boris Johnson does something that he, in his uh, agreement, he does something which he said he would never do, which is he, um, he agrees to the creation of a border 
between Britain and Northern Ireland. Um, and he does that because he accepts the needs for Northern Ireland to be in different customs arrangements to the rest of the UK because it shares a land border with a part of the EU, i.e. the Republic of Ireland. Um, so he said for months and months and months that he would never countenance breaking up the United Kingdom in this way by having a border down the middle of the Irish Sea. And now he's pretty much done that. And that's quite shocking. And for many of us, that's very disappointing. Um, and there are many other things in his agreement which are problematic. Um, you know, for the transition period, the period through which the UK is very slowly leaving the European Union, during that transition period, we would still be beholden to European Union rules and European Court of Justice laws in relation to various areas of life about trade and goods and transporting goods and so on. Um, the reason that's a problem, the reason that's a very serious problem, is because during this transition period, we will be moving to future negotiations in relation to our trade relationship with the EU. And if we are subject to the EU's rules in that transition period and can do nothing to change those rules, then it just means that the EU can really screw us over so that when it comes to negotiating future trade relationships, they will have the upper hand enormously. So Boris Johnson is setting us up for a bit of a problematic, uh, soft Brexit. And uh, a lot of people are waking up to that over the past couple of days and feeling a bit angry about it too. Uh, okay, so based on all that, what do you think is likely to happen, which is a, obviously a very difficult question, I understand, and what is best-case scenario from your perspective that could happen from here? Uh, the best-case scenario for me is that we have a no-deal Brexit because um, every deal that has been put forward is not really Brexit. It's, it's, a, it's a super soft version of Brexit. It's, it's, it's what we call Brino, Brexit in name only. Um, and every deal that we've seen and every deal that's been put on the table would keep the UK in some fashion beholden to the EU's oversight. So I think the only real option is just to walk away, no deal, break off, and and then try to uh, strike up trade deals with other nations, uh, try to patch up our relationship with the EU at some future point. But I think that's really the only option if we want to stay as a democratic country. That's the big question mark hanging over all of this. Does Britain want to be a democratic country or not? I know that sounds a bit melodramatic, but this is what is at stake at the moment because we have a Brexit-supporting electorate, the largest number of voters in British history voted for Brexit, 17.4 million people. Um, and we have a Remainer parliament, a Remainer business class, a Remainer civil service, uh, basically a Remainer elite who uh, are doing everything they can to, to prevent Brexit from happening. And that's the source of all the tension and all the crisis in the UK at the moment. So when you hear people say that Brexit is just too complicated, it's too difficult, we just can't get it through, we can't work out how to make it work, none of that is true. The tension derives entirely from the fact that the people want one thing and the political class want another thing. And right now, the political class has got the upper hand and it's creating a, a, a serious sense of conflict in this country. Uh, why don't you unpack that actually? So what is the uh, actual conflict? Do you reckon it'll ever become physical or is it just sort of a, a disassociation between working class and elites? Well, you know, when I interviewed Nigel Farage a few months ago, he said that the, the real choice facing Britain is, is between apathy and anarchy. Um, because if you get screwed over by the elites, and we all do at some level on a daily basis, but this is a kind of really a, a larger version of that, um, he said that the choice is really either to switch off and say, well, my vote doesn't count. Clearly my vote doesn't count, so I'll just stop voting and, and become apathetic, which I think is happening in some parts of the country. Or the response is to be a bit more anarchic and say, well, I'm going to take to the streets, I'm going to protest, I'm going to stir things up. We've had a mix of the two. I've been around the country quite a lot over the past three years. I've spoken to people in Brexit parts of the country, in Remainer parts of the country, and in the Brexit parts of the country, which, you know, for the most part tend to be the more working class areas, the former industrial heartlands, particularly in the north of England, parts of Wales and so on. 
um, people are feeling either apathetic or very angry. So I've seen people saying, I'm never voting again, there's no point. And I've seen other people come onto the streets and take part in protests and marches and, and really you know, demanding that their vote is honoured. So the conflict at the moment, it's a political conflict. It's kind of bubbling under the surface. But I do think there will come a point when we have to ask ourselves, if 17.4 million votes can just be declared null and void, if the establishment can say those votes don't count, and therefore we're going to have another second, another referendum, or we're just going to move on from Brexit entirely and not really have it. If that happens, then it's not a joke to say that Britain is no longer a democratic country and the right to vote no longer has any real meaning. So I do think we're on a, a really important precipice in relation to all of this. And I think the political establishment doesn't quite realise how destructive their behaviour is. Well, just to touch on a, on a couple of those themes, we uh, I read your speech that you made in Manchester over the weekend near the site where the Peterloo massacre took place. And in that speech, you spoke a lot about how it was a conflict between the working class and the elites and how it was about British democracy. Why don't you give us a little bit of a history lesson and tell us why the Peterloo massacre is so um, relevant to all this and um, what you see the link between that and Brexit to be? Yeah, so Peterloo Massacre is incredibly important in British history. It happened in August 1819, so this year was the 200th anniversary. Um, and it was 60,000 working people in Manchester who marched to a place called St. Peter's Field um, to demand the right to vote. And these were people who were living in exceptionally poor conditions and who wanted a voice in the political process. Um, and they were attacked by the yeomanry... Uh, at least 15 people were killed uh, with swords. Uh, many, many others were injured. So it's a very notorious incident in British history. Um, very strikingly, even the Times newspaper, which at the time was like very seriously the newspaper of the establishment, even the Times came out a couple of days later and said, we've gone too far. So it was a turning point in relation to reform. And then we got the Great Reform Acts of the late 1800s and the early 1900s, which eventually gave people the right to vote. Um, so it's very important. And what's interesting is that this year there was a film about Peterloo released by Mike Lee. It's a very good film. And it was really striking because all the chattering classes who spent the past three years since the Brexit vote trying to block the votes of 17 and a half million people, which includes 8 million women and includes millions of working class voters. Working class people were more likely than middle class people to vote for Brexit. Um, they spent three years trying to block those votes and then this film comes out and they all go to the cinema and they start crying in the aisles and they're saying how wonderful it is that these people rose up 200 years ago for the right to vote. So the level of hypocrisy and double standards has really been exposed by the fact that we've just been through the 200th anniversary of the Peterloo massacre. And I think what it really shows is that the thing that the people struggled for 200 years ago actually remains a quite controversial, contested idea, which is the idea that ordinary people should have a say in the political process. We know from the past three years that in the eyes of the political establishment, that is still a dangerous idea that they feel uncomfortable with. So the thing that's become clear to me and to many other people is that democracy is still an ongoing struggle and all the democratic rights we thought had been settled uh, that's not as quite as clear-cut as we thought it was. Yeah, that's uh, completely right. Uh, so I want to bring it back to the the discussion happening this week. So as far as I can see, there's going to be three potential outcomes. Now, we've discussed no deal, and I think we're all agreed, like, if there's no deal, then that's clearly the most democratic option. That's what British people voted for three years ago. But the other two possibilities, as I see them, is either one, Boris Johnson's deal gets approved, and as you've said... Uh, uh, Boris's deal isn't great and Britain might suffer long term from it but at least it's a deal and there's sort of some end to the Brexit discussions. The other one being that uh, there's another delay to Brexit. Now how will there be a delay and like how humiliating is that for Boris Johnson because the whole thing of his Prime Ministership was always being like October 31st, October 31st, that's the date it's going to get mm -hmm. done. What happens if there is no uh, October 31st for him? Yeah, it's looking increasingly like there won't be a 31st of October. I mean, it's still 
vaguely possible, but um, because MPs passed a law a few weeks ago called the, the, the Ben Act, they passed this thing called the Ben Act, named after Hillary Ben, a Labour MP, uh, who, by the way, is the son of Tony Ben, who was one of the great left-wing Eurosceptics of the 20th century. Uh, but Hillary Ben is a Remainer MP, and he passed a law which would force Boris Johnson to ask for an extension if he didn't have a deal agreed in Parliament on the 19th of October. So he didn't get his deal agreed in Parliament on the 19th of October, so he had to write a letter to the EU by law begging for a further delay, which he didn't want to do. And he wrote two letters, and I thought actually this was quite admirable. He wrote the letter that the law forced him to write, but he refused to sign it out of principle. He wouldn't put his signature on it because he, did, he thinks it's an abomination that the law has forced him to ask the EU for another extension, and I agree with him on that. And then he sent another letter alongside that letter saying, um, I'm asking for an extension, but I really don't want to, and I think it's completely wrong. So the thing is, with all of this, even if there is an extension now, and it looks like the EU will eventually agree to one, uh, maybe through till next February, um, the thing is that the more that Parliament screws over Boris, which is happening now on a daily basis, the more that his support goes up and up among the public. So opinion polls show him doing very well at the moment for a new prime minister, for a prime minister who came to power without a general election, which is what happened with Boris. It, it, all those factors taken into account, he's doing very well in opinion polls, and he does better every time Parliament screws him over. So every time there's a delay, Parliament forces him to delay or refuses to talk about his deal, or basically sucks up all the time of parliamentary business by insulting Boris and calling him an idiot and all this kind of stuff, his approval ratings go up with every one of those uh, uh, forms of behaviour, which is really interesting because what it suggests is that people now feel that Parliament is a, a rotten institution, an illegitimate institution. Uh, in the words of Geoffrey Cox, our Attorney General, it is a dead parliament. It shouldn't really sit anymore. It has no more democratic authority. And I think a lot of ordinary people share that view, and they are siding with Boris as a consequence of that. So if he does get an extension that he didn't want, I think it could work to his benefit because he could go to the public and say, I tried my best, guys, but that bloody establishment, that remain a parliament, those nasty people kept tying my hands and wouldn't let me do what you want me to do. So I think it could actually work to his advantage with the public. Yeah, uh, I think that's also so interesting because like, uh, I was listening to your interview with Rod Little for the Brendan O'Neill show, which was awesome. And one of the things you two were discussing was how uh, there's like increasingly a sense of, oh, there's no point in voting. And if there ever does come to a point where there's another referendum, that maybe Remain does win just because the Brexit vote is so defeated. But then when you say stuff like, oh, it's just increasing his poll numbers, like is, is there any sense of growing anger at the in the British public that they'll even double down harder on leaving? Because I genuinely think if there was like a no deal vote today, no deal would win so much more than any of the agreements that have been put up. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. But the, the problem we have at the moment, and this speaks to the seriousness of the democratic crisis in the UK, the problem that we have at the moment is that we are not allowed to vote for no deal. So if you look at the discussions they're having about a second referendum, um, everyone, well, the Remainer camp in politics, which is a very powerful camp, is constantly saying that no deal simply cannot be an option because it's too dangerous, it's too destructive, it would screw Britain up and all this kind of nonsense. Um, even though many, many opinion polls show that a majority of people think that if we can't get a good deal, we should walk away without a deal. So even though it has majoritarian democratic support, the establishment wants to take it off the ballot paper. The problem with a second referendum you know, things are so messed up at the moment and democracy is in such a dire state in this country that I would almost welcome a second referendum if it was just remain versus leave all over again, because then I would be on the streets with many, many other people saying, let's vote leave and let's teach them a lesson and show them that we were serious. The problem is a second referendum, which is looking increasingly likely, would be a complete stitch up and it would be a choice between... Boris's deal or something like Boris's deal and staying in the EU. So it would be a choice between soft Brexit and remain. 
So the thing that we voted for in 2016, which was to stop being a member of the European Union, will have been taken off the ballot paper. It will no longer be a choice for the people. It will no longer be a choice that we are allowed to make. So um, if that comes about, and it may well come about, um, there's the question of whether it should be boycotted, um, how we should deal with it. And there's also the question of why this referendum should have any legitimacy in politics at all. Because let's not forget that if they um, cancel the first referendum, the one from 2016, the legitimate one, then that will be the first time in British history that a public vote was simply cancelled. It wasn't acted upon. It wasn't forced into law. It didn't take any force at all in the political sphere. It was simply declared null and void. That would be the first time in British, in the history of British democracy, really a hundred years or so, that that has happened. And I think this, the establishment hasn't thought through the consequences of cancelling a public vote and what that will do to democracy in the UK and to the UK's reputation around the world. Uh, Brendan, I wish we'd wrapped up this interview on some other emotion than uh, intense sadness <laughs> in the future of Britain. But anyway, uh, Brendan O'Neill, editor of Spiked. If you are not checking Spiked every single day at this point, there is actually something wrong with you. It is one of the best websites in the world. Brendan O'Neill, thanks so much for coming on the show. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Okay, we're here with Tiana Kovac, our uh, Generation Liberty uh, campus coordinator at Macquarie University in New South Wales. She was part of the organised event for... Uh, she was part of the organising committee, I should say, for an event last week at the University of Sydney. Tiana, welcome to the program. Hi, very good to be here. Thanks, guys. Awesome. So, first of all, now, we know you had a little bit of a problem with uh, the great energy debate. Why don't you tell us what happened? Yeah, so, I mean, I guess it's not too surprising to hear this, but being part of the IPA and wanting a nice dialogue we tried to get someone for uh, renewable energy, um, coal and nuclear energy to have a really well-rounded debate, having people who were experienced in their fields, knowing what they spoke about. Um, but long story short, as you have it, the renewable person decided to last minute publicly pull out from the debate. Okay, now how did they go about pulling out? Well, on our uh, Facebook event that we had about the debate, they decided to post that uh, the IPA were a climate-denying group and that we were incredibly biased in how we went about organising the event, which I'm not sure how that could be the case. And then they decided that they wouldn't give weight to coal or nuclear because it was so obvious that renewable energy was the only way forward. Uh, so I think like saying on the day that you've just looked into Generation Liberty, who you're having a debate with, saying on the day that you're going to do that is an absolutely outrageous move. So do you reckon uh, the more probable was either fear or maybe cowardice? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it was absolute cowardice. And the fact of the matter is that this speaker that we got for renewables, he had made a post about the IPA months prior so he was well aware of who the organization was and who we were as generation liberty so it was it was almost as if he knew from the get-go that he was going to try and make life as difficult as possible and pull out last minute so just for our listeners where where was this guy from what organization uh from extinction rebellion well there you go uh, yeah. So let, right. let's talk about it. So we try to have a debate where uh, renewable energy could get represented by someone who, you know, really loves renewable energy. If you're in Extinction Rebellion, you love renewable energy and they pull out. But how did the debate end up going? So, I mean, unfortunately, it didn't go as well as we anticipated it would go. Um, that And, I mean, that can only be as it was given that we had one speaker pull out um, especially when you're looking forward to a well-rounded debate, um, you know, and one speaker from a massive chunk of that debate pulls out, it's only going to suffer. Um, however, we did still have the other two speakers um, who spoke on nuclear and coal, and they did a very good job. And i just like to add that given that it was organised in such an unbiased way, the nuclear energy person who spoke, he was a, actually a professor at Sydney Uni, um, he came out saying how much in favour he was um, for climate change. 
So, you know, we had people from all around the board who were willing to come and listen. We had a good debate with some audience members as well. So, yeah, in the end, uh, it worked out well enough. Yeah, that's always the thing for me, just talking about that nuclear guy, where it's like, if, if you really want to do something about climate change, then surely the answer is uh, to embrace nuclear power. Uh, what was the feedback from students and attendees? Like, w- did we have a winner of the debate? Uh, and what was the, you know, uh, what did people walk away thinking that they weren't thinking when they walked in? Well, they walked away thinking um, not very highly of Extinction Rebellion, for starters, and it also disappointed a lot of people to know that renewables wasn't being represented. So essentially, I think the general consensus fell onto nuclear being, you know, one of the answers. And that was the consensus um, online from people who wanted to attend but couldn't and those who did attend. What was the reaction when you announced that this guy wasn't coming? Did you read out the statement? Did the punters go nuts? Did they throw beer bottles on the stage? What happened? Well, it was all done online a couple of hours before the actual event. So it was more just a bit of a, you know, what is going on here? Is it surprising? Not really. Were people unhappy about it? 100%. And there was a reasonable amount of backlash that the speaker received um, as a result. All right. No, we've talked about this event enough, Tiana. Why don't you tell us what made you get involved in Generation Liberty? Well, I heard about the program from a good friend and now boss of mine, Renee Gorman, uh, and it was just very appealing to have something else out there that is speaking for liberty, freedom of speech, and all of these values that personally in my family and in my life are really, really important and central to everything I do. And so joining it has actually given me this opportunity to go out there, speak to people who are like-minded and explore these ideas, which you really can't do a lot of the time these days. Yeah, because like I was going through uni just before the IPA Generation Liberty program got off. A few years before. Oh, really? I thought it was like just as. But anyway, like stuff like a great energy debate or some of the other debates that Generation Liberty be having, they literally did not happen while I was at uni. There was no voice of them. So it's like, I don't know, it's just kind of cool being around events like this and actually giving people the ability to hear these new debates. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's hard work to do because you've got a a vocal group of people who don't want you to speak, um, but it's really rewarding stuff and it is challenging in, a, in an exciting way. Fantastic stuff. Now, just before we got on the phone to you, Tiana, uh, Renee Gorman, who you mentioned before, is the National Manager of Generation Liberty. She told us that one of the reasons why you're involved with Generation Liberty and ideas about liberty is because of your background. Your grandparents escaped communism in uh, Yugoslavia. Why don't you tell us about that and how that impacted your worldview? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, that's their story has kind of permeated through all the way to my generation. And essentially, that was they were living in the former Yugoslavia and they wanted to have freedom of religion. They wanted to be able to speak about things. They wanted to be able to work and earn a good income and make a better life for themselves and for their children. And they just couldn't do that in Yugoslavia at the time. So my grandfather ended up having to flee to Germany and then eventually come to Australia. And my grandmother came not too long after that. And while being here in Australia, they were actually able to make a living for themselves and survive and fight hard for the values that were so important to them. And that's why, you know, something like Generation Liberty is so important to have because it does reflect those values. Awesome stuff, Tiana. We spoke to Luca Rossi last week, uh, whose um, parents had also come from places with more authoritarian regimes, and um, he had a similar message. So thank you very much for speaking to us today. Good luck with your next event, and hopefully all the all the attendees turn up next time. Yeah, thanks. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Tiana. Bye. Bye. Okay, welcome to another round of Hey, What yeah. Did We Miss? The Young IPA Quiz. Now, before we start this week's quiz... <laughs> I do have something to say. Here we go. Uh, Saul, if you could cue up the uh, music, that'd be great. Uh, but last week's quiz was uh, mired in controversy. Uh, I let myself down. I let the team down. But most importantly, I let Pete down. 
Really? This is. I feel it's been haunting me all week. It haunted me over the weekend. I copped it from Morgan. I handed <laughs> that last quiz to Pat on a silver platter. I feel absolutely terrible about it. So, by the way, you are killing this music. This is exactly <laughs> what I wanted. Uh, so, I apologize. If anyone missed last week's, uh, Pat answered Prince John for the five-pointer. And I infl- said Prince John, like that. And then Pat goes, hang on, that's not a person. It's King John. They're the same person. They are the same person, but that's, I should not have accepted that as a response. I just want everyone out there to know I didn't ask for this. Yeah. This has been this has been brought. But you have wanted it. <laughs> I, I just wanted to get that off my chest. So, so that's enough music. Thank you. There you go. Uh, wow. so, so we all know a little week. bit more about James and Pete's relationship. <laughs> than we ever did. Uh, subservient. And, uh, <laughs> but anyway, no, I do feel bad about last week. Pete just looking at you like over the, over the cubicle divide. I'm trying to hang out. I was happy to give it to so hang dog, Just hang dog expression <laughs> on his face. Just waiting for him. So uh, I was a bit confused why Pete was still here given yeah. that he lost last week. Well, we Maybe a, that explains it a little bit. Or We had a long searching meeting about both of our roles in the show. No, no. Anyway, so hopefully this week we'll be given to a just winner rather than usurper and the unjust Patrick. Slanderous. Uh, <laughs> Patrick's about to whack him. Uh, sorry, all right, let's start off. So question one, the British Parliament sat on uh, last weekend to debate Brexit. How many mm. years ago did that last happen, the British Parliament sitting on a weekend? I've got a fair Closest idea. two gets it. Closest no points two. off if uh, for an incorrect Pat. answer. Pat. Oh, we all get to choose, don't we? 1940. Yeah. 1940. That's incorrect, mate. Okay. Um, so you want how many years ago, right? I want how many years ago. Oh, I, I, think, it's, I think it's 26. So we've got 1,940 years ago. 26. <laughs> we've got 26 years ago. And uh, I'm going to steal Pat's answer and say 80 years ago. Give 80 Patty years another, ago. Give Pat another go. Uh, no. After last week's debacle, <laughs> I have to accept the first answer. And he said 1960 and the question of how many years ago. Sorry, 1940 and a question how many years ago. Oh, uh, but unfortunately, it wasn't 78 B, uh, AD. It was 37 years ago. So Peter gets the point. What year was it? Uh, whatever 37 yeah, years ago is. So now Pat's dished is, uh, me 19, up as well. 1982. I thought it was 1993 <laughs> for some reason. Uh, so there we go. All right. Uh, which Formula One driver had a freak out about climate change? Roof, roof. Pa- Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton, indeed. Can you think of any... Well, this isn't the question, but <laughs> a question for the panel. Uh, can you think of any more gas guzzling lifestyle in the planet than traveling Formula One driver? They started like the, the jet fuel, new race every week. He drives an F one. Yeah, come on. They started. Yeah, but he that drives a Prius at home. Yeah, but he's, so. oh, okay, he's, he's rich. The two so weeks away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The two weeks of the year he's at home. He's driving a Prius. They started what's that letter why, saying, what's, what's "Oh, we know we're hypocrites, but like." That doesn't address that point though (laughs) There we go Stop writing Uh, All right. Uh, My favourite sport is back yesterday uh, The NBA And uh, if anyone can name three of last year's NBA All-Stars They get a point Oh, three Uh, Not the biggest basketball fan of all Just Andrew Andrew Sorry, I forgot about the buzzers There's a bloke called Andrew We didn't test the buzzers Yeah, I don't think I introduced anyone Because people didn't know Kurt Wallace was on last week's show It's Andrew Bush Nor Patrick Annefin And Peter Gray So three So Stephen Curry Yep What's his name? Harding yeah, James Harden, I'll James give that. Yep. Harden, that's it, that's his name. That's who I was going for. <laughs> well, no, no one's going to give Jump in. Space. And then... Uh, it's big beard. Uh, ben Thick. Simmons was an all-star. He was indeed. So Bushnell gets to him. I thought he couldn't shoot Ben Simmons. He can't shoot, but he can do everything else really well. Mm, and can yeah. that help him on the long term? We're about to find out. Mm. All right, uh, sorry, score check. Pete's on two, Bushnell's on one, Pat is on zero. Uh, after the st- failure of the state's recycling system, how many bins could Australian family of Victorian Andrew families... Oh, Andrew was there. Six. Yeah. Six. Good one. Did seem a bit of a beat up. It just was like one proposal in the thing, but uh, the media they ran with sh- six, so sorry. What they should have the general waste one and then a glass recycling one, and yep. that's it. Because it's only glass recycling that actually... Everything else just gets burned or no, dropped like in the Al- ocean. Al- Seth's Al- trying to say where it ends up. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. I, mean, I, I, would separate my, I would separate my glass. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> that right. that there you go, environmental people. All right. That's what Bushy uh, does. Bushnell, Bushnell uh, doing that. All right, uh, next question. Until it was changed, where was next year's G7 meeting going to be held? Andrew. Andrew. Uh, Doral Resort. Trump, Trump Doral Resort. Yes, Trump's Florida golf uh, <laughs> resort. Yeah, that was it's a bit like... The, the site of I mean, one of the world's most important... Like, I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed defending Trump when people are outraged about it, but this one was like a bridge too far for almost <laughs> everyone. I was like, you can't, can't do that one, surely. I, I'm sure there's a bunch of diplomats who are actually kind of looking forward to the golf resort. Like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, we're in Washington, D.C. It's going to be cold. There's no golf around. It's like, oh, man, we nearly went to Florida. This decision yeah. stood for about 24 hours, and that was still enough time for Marco Rubio to put out an obsequious media release. So, <laughs> good job, Marco. 
Good job, Bushnell. That was even more obsequious. Uh, all right. Uh, so, score check. Bushnell is on three. Pete on two. Pat still on zero. Uh, Kurt Wallace's article on the RBA explored how their tactics never change despite no success. Uh, since what month and year has every interest rate decision either been held or set at another record low? Again, closest to gets it. No incorrect answers. Uh, well, there are incorrect answers, but you won't be penalised for them, except through mockery. Andrew. Andrew. It's 12 years. So 12 years. <laughs> so 2007. 2007. And uh, what month is this? October. Yeah. October 2007. Bat? I will go uh, December. December. December? 2007. 2007. I've got a really good feeling about 2011 for some reason, so I'm going to say March 2011. Well, Pete, again, is closest. It's October 2012 that Ooh. every decision has either been oh, the so same that, that was where the 12... Uh, all right, sorry, that's another point for 12 Pete. years. We the are, works in mysterious we are running headlong into another Pat five. Oh, <laughs> no, I've <laughs> seen this one before. Pat's just taken the entire quiz off. He's like, just give me the five-pointer and yeah. be done with it. <laughs> just come, yeah. uh, and again, I haven't thought of a tiebreaker question. <laughs> I never will. Uh, okay, which demon knocked Australia out of the Rugby World Cup? Roof, roof. Roof, England. roof. England did indeed. Really missing Israel Folau. Uh Ooh, The Right to Know campaign political. brings back fond memories when the IPA was one of the few voices speaking out against the Finkelstein Inquiry. Yeah. What year was that? Roof, Pat. Roof, roof. Just there in time roof roof with a five uh 2012 uh okay sorry that which brings good. us to who am i oh now, my God. score check uh pete is on five yes Bushnell is on three pat oh just close enough just close zero. enough <laughs> he doesn't all need. He needs. what is he on one he's on zero he's on zero that doesn't matter that's fine he'll just get the five pointer and then the tiebreaker okay so it's like man united in the 90s you know just <laughs> yeah just always injury minute. time <laughs> Very relatable concept there, yeah. <laughs> For the uh, uh, Fergie right. time. Fergie yeah, time. Exactly. Uh, Fergalicious. All right. Uh, that, uh, okay, sorry. For the who am I, obviously 5.4.3.2.1 point suggestion. So for the five points, yeah. I died 214 years ago oh. on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> so hang on. We're going to lose a point if we guess. Uh, yeah. So uh, 214 years ago. Yeah, no, yeah. no I'm not going to. I'm not going to miss on, by two points. Give point us a five point. You, ha- you yeah, have to choose. You just give me a sec. Uh. 214 years ago. Oh, there's a few people it could be, obviously. Again, there's <laughs> such a lot of people that died that year. <laughs> Not many famous people. And he died on a Monday. I missed that. No Instagram back then, so. The Monday bit is crucial to this, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Come on, just give it to us, Pat. I'll go. William Pitt. No. I would have put my life savings on Pat. If he did it right. again, I would have... say, fair play. He's not a fluke. He can do it. You know. Yeah. Okay, it turns sorry. out he can't do it, so yeah. let's move on. Pushing us late for a meeting. All right. Uh, th- that day that I died was also the most important day of my life. Well, I mean, that's I mean, every day anyone dies. But you mean for some other reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, I it's important it that it changed his circumstances, <laughs> but yeah. like it also changed the world. Things changed once he was yep. dead. Oh, right. 240 years ago, it changed uh, the world. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's, yep. that's a little clue. Little half clues. Yeah, it? I don't mean to, you know, throw another one into the mix, but yes, the person who this is is actually relevant today. Oh, be, like, so there's a reason his, you would know him. It it's wasn't his just, specifically his death which changed the world. How many? No. Uh, how many hints did okay. Pete get on this? Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so. You can still come second, Pat. Only because this. Yeah, I don't know. What, 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 was, the, what was the second point? Of the uh, the, that day was also the most important of my life. Just turn around fourteen years ago. Yeah. Wait, let me do the maths. It's a vague question. 1805. Yes, that's the one. All right, this this should... Oh, I know. Here we go. go. It's Horatio Nelson. It is actually Horatio Nelson. (laughs) See? Five, five and four. Yeah. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. So... That was was actually... Yeah, that was pretty good. Although he did it sort of out of turn because we were like waiting on the next clue. I mean, he really shouldn't have been able to jump in. (laughs) Sorry, it's it's opt-in experience. (laughs) You can jump in whenever. You can jump Uh, in right now if you want. (laughs) What were the other ones? Uh, the next one was going to be I had only one eye, which I thought would have uh, helped. Still, the other two would have been uh, it was an admiral in the British Navy for two. Yeah. I mean, by this point, and then one, there's a giant column of statue of me in yeah, yeah, Trafalgar yeah, yeah, Square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, Trafalgar Anyone would be like the one point. All right, uh, Pete, well done. Yes. You're back. Four out of six. This is now official dynasty rating. Normal service has been resumed. Uh, sweet, and we got more show for you after this. Yeah. Congratulations, Pete. Another uh, huge victory. No surprise. No surprise at all. I thought maybe um, as a reward for my victory, you'd probably get, you'd get changed out of the basketball singlet, which you still seem to be sitting uh, I am subjecting you and anyone watching on YouTube or Facebook to a gun show you did not want oh. or ask for or indeed need. Uh, 
So let's fly through some stories so I can get uh, dressed. So uh, I want to start off with this one. Now, everyone in the world knows that Justin Trudeau likes to, <laughs> or liked to, to be fair to him, yeah. uh, dress up in blackface. Yeah. Now, apparently that is not enough to lose you an election because he's actually been uh, returned as Can- Canada's Prime Minister. Yep. Uh, there was a slight drop, not enough to get him over the, uh, to topple him. So where are we? <laughs> well, to be honest, I'm sort of like, this proves to me that Twitter's not real life. Yes. And people don't really care about this stuff. Like, and I'm going to say, like, there wasn't that much like anger at Justin Trudeau. It was yeah. more like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was more that. It was more like Mr. Woke, like dressing up like an idiot. Most people don't like it. Like it's racist and you shouldn't do it. But most people are like, well, you know, people make mistakes. And I more care if he's going to run the country properly, which I would say he doesn't. Yeah. But But maybe the other, maybe the other, that, that, so I have two things I want to do with you, Pete. Okay. uh, About this. (laughs) Uh, Sorry. I want you to rank election losses. So you have losing to a man that, at least four times dressed up in blackface and yeah. said, I don't know how many times I did do it. Doesn't say much for your position. Uh, losing to a man that got caught on camera as saying, I like to grab them by a very sensitive area. Yeah. Uh, or having won every single news poll since December 10, 2017 and yeah. then losing the election. Look, I still think it's the last one. You reckon that's worse than Clinton losing to Trump yeah. and whoever the Trump was one of the you know. Yeah, yeah. Trump was one of the big surprises. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't keep that close and I'm on Canadian politics, so I can't really comment <laughs> too right. much on that. Uh, but but losing the one in Australia was pretty bad. I to me it still goes Trump's the worst. Okay. Like the like the most like how the hell did you lose that? Yep. It goes Trump, this is now number two, and then a million consecutive news polls, that's third. Yeah, okay. Well, that, That's my internal ranking. There you go. Now, the other one I want to say is that Justin Trudeau lost the popular vote but won through Electoral College. Oh, so did he? I think we should just take a few minutes just to wait for the exact same amount of people yeah. that wrote all those op-eds and appeared on all those television shows yeah. to decry the uh, undemocratic nature of America's electoral college system. Yeah. I think we should just we shouldn't actually release this podcast until we can discuss all of the op-eds and TV shows that have come about come out about this election victory. Yeah. So I think we should just take a few minutes for them to roll in. Yeah. I'm just going to check my phone. <laughs> okay. Well, while while James is doing that, okay. Nothing so phone. far. Okay. I can only assume they're seconds away. All right. Let's you keep us posted for when that comes in. The thing I Still wanted to show about the Trudeau victory was, and Saul, if you could put this tweet up on the screen because I actually haven't written it in my notes. <laughs> there we go. So this came from last week from Conan O'Brien, who wrote, my and man. it's not my gag, but it's funny anyway. Yes. Yeah, Bolt loves him. Uh, it's smarter Trudeau to hold the election before Halloween. I mean, why even tempt yourself? Oh, his Halloween wardrobe has opened up significantly. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just knows I can do anything now and I'll still be retained as Prime Minister. Exactly right. Uh, so that was pretty funny from Conan. Yes. Uh, let us move on to the ABC, Pete. Okay, so those, those uh, what would you call them? Filthy capitalists at the ABC. <laughs> capitalist been, pigs. Capitalist pigs yeah. at the ABC. Oink, oink. Have been ripping off workers. Now, the ABC has admitted yep. it has possibly underpaid 2,500 staff over six years. The community and public sector... Union said mm-hmm. it has been 10 months since the ABC announced that it underpaid up to 2,500 of its casual employees. To date, none of the ABC's current or former casual employees have been paid the money they're owed, nor has the ABC's leadership been transparent or accountable. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, did you say the ABC weren't being transparent? Yes, That's unbelievable. I'm just going to update my freedom of inf- uh, my right to know campaign notes. ABC not transparent. They didn't include that in the Interesting. FORs. And this is the, this is the mob that go on about how oh, the minimum wage is so important, workers' right are so important. They've got a billion dollars to work with, James. Yep. Just pay your workers. Uh, now, uh, did any of the 2000 500 staff that weren't paid what they wanted, uh, what they thought they were getting paid. Mm. Did uh, did among their ranks include Tony Jones or Paul Barry? No, because if they <laughs> did, they'll have to answer to me. No, if fact- my beloved Tony Jones and Paul Barry aren't getting the full remuneration of yeah. what appears to be about 15 minutes of work a week, yeah. then there will be hell to pay. Well, I, look, there's no report. I'll let you know as soon as that report comes okay. through. John Fain, uh, the John Fain Retirement Party is alleged to be the one that cost them all the money, <laughs> which prevented them from. Anyway, there you go. They're meant to be, apparently, they've just put it in the national in, in the most recent budget. All right, cool. Uh, now we are running quite long on the show, so we're yeah. going to have to uh, quite long on the show. And now we're running even longer as I desperately attempt to correct myself. Yeah, let's talk about racist toddlers. Oh, two topics in a row. This is hard work. So, Devin, <laughs> you organised this. <laughs> I don't know why I did like this. Two, Devon and Cornwall police have released a series of animations on social media about. Yep. Uh, hate crime awareness week. Yeah, they're solving one, racism. They're solving racism. One in particular caught my eye. Saul, please roll the tape. Yeah. Stop playing with those. You're going to make the toys dirty like your skin. Absolutely baffling. That's So, 
There's a few things here. Yeah. So hate crime awareness week. Yeah. I thought that was people getting killed or sexually assaulted for their ethnic. Yeah. Apparently it's not. Apparently it's just calling people names and not just people calling each other names, but children calling yeah. each other names. No, I that's think that's on their radar. Kindergartners uh, calling each other names is Britain's leading crime at the moment. It's a big issue. Yeah, the amount of prisons that are stocked to the brim with young kindergartners yeah. with a bit too a bit too lippy yeah. uh, it will blow you away. So that was one of the many creepy things they put on. Uh, on the internet, and uh, yep. the teacher goes on just to explain to the kid that racism is bad, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. Which is important. Oh, but yeah. So, it's hardly I'll, important for the police to be involved. Just to bring that up. Now, the girl makes this black kid cry with the words. The teacher runs over to the white girl yeah. and just like while the black kid is still crying yeah. to instruct the white girl. So, you know, even in racist incidences, yeah. the white person gets all the attention. Exactly. Sounds right. about white to me. I'm still not convinced that, it, you know. And then like the teacher then goes on to correct the kid and the kid just turns to the black kid and goes like, I'm sorry about that. Can we be friends? And then they hug. Hmm. Now, this is the most forgiving kid in the history of the planet. Yeah. There's no like, oh, you remember 15 seconds ago when you yeah. racially abused me? I think we've got a few more steps to What's go. Changed. Before we're friends. Yeah, exactly right. Anyway, I was just in at Cornwall recently for a wedding. It was great. Okay. <laughs> so, I'll write that down. The whole place, don't write the whole place Eats off. In Cornwall. Yeah. Glad we got that in the show. All right. Uh, go Nuggets. That is it for the show this week. Is it? One more thing I'd like to say. One more thing. I was on Looking Forward this week Ooh. and they thanked their producer at the end. And I realized in 132 episodes, we've never thanked our producer. Yeah. So thanks, Saul. I oh, used to thank Nina. <laughs> okay. Well, that doesn't make it better for Saul. Thanks, all. <laughs> I wanted to be better for Saul. Uh, that is it for the show this week. Thank you to, uh, not Saul, but to Brendan O'Neill and Tiana Kovac for the interviews. Uh, if you are listening through iTunes, make sure you're leaving us a five-star review. Uh, we're now filming the podcast. If you do want to see me in a basketball jersey for reasons that I can't begin to comprehend, uh, you can go to our YouTube page and to our Facebook page. And if any of your friends or family like their podcasts uh, through YouTube or Facebook, you can tell them about that as well. And uh, tell your friends about the show, et cetera, et cetera. See you guys next week. Stay up. Stay up.